Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 24 of Superman and Batman, featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. My name is Michael Bradley, I'm your host, and this episode, after spending a couple episodes in the Bronze Age, we once again are back to the Mort Weisinger-rific Silver Age, with a story that, while I enjoyed it, it, it is very representative of why a certain section of fandom will ridicule DC Silver Age in comparison to what their main competition of Marvel Comics was putting out at the time. And I'm not saying I feel that way, just that there are others that do. Personally, I don't agree with all their arguments, but we're not going to get into the politics behind that because we've got an issue to talk about. Not a political issue, an actual comic book issue. Issue. This episode, we are looking at World's Finest Comics number 152, which, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, was released on July 22nd, 1965, exactly 49 years to the day before this episode is being released. And you might not believe it, but that is a complete coincidence. This issue has a September 1965 cover date and 32 pages, all for the cover price of 12 whole cents. Our cover is by Kurt Swan and George Klein and shows Superman and Batman getting beat up by children. Orange and purple clad, superhero costume wearing children. Not a hoax, not imaginary. They're the real McCoys, the colossal kids. Who are they? Where did they get their powers? It's an alright cover, I guess. Uh, the, the art is great. You know, it's Kurt Swan, so there's an assurance of quality. I guess it's the story concept that bothers me more. Um, while I'm somewhat interested in knowing the story behind these kids, compared to other covers we've had on, on books that we've looked at on the show, this is highly unlikely to be the first one I'd grab off a spinner rack. But still, it's okay. I'll tell you though, if this story turns out to be the 1960s version of the Smart Kids episode from Lois and Clark... <sighs> anyway, turning inside, credits for our 16-page lead story are the, as I've talked about in previous episodes, the regular creative team at this time, with Edmund Hamilton as writer and Kurt Swan and George Klein as the art team. Mort Weisinger, of course, is the book's editor. One mischievous boy can make enough trouble, but when you get two of them, and both have superpowers exceeding those of Superman, that's real trouble. Which is just what Superman and Batman encounter when they are challenged by those mysterious, super-smart Alex, the Colossal Kids. As we begin, Force Boy and Speed Kid, two super-powered youngsters, arrive at the Daily Planet and say the paper should do a story about them. Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, and Perry White are skeptical, but the kids prove their claims by juggling Jimmy and Lois and taking Perry for a frightening flight over the city, all before flying away. When Clark Kent returns and hears about the kids' visit, he decides to investigate, soon recruiting Batman and Robin to help. A radio report of the boys destroying a condemned building causes the heroes to rush back to Metropolis where they find the boys engaged in a super-speed game of tag. 
Worried they'll cause a tornado with their fast-paced frolics, Superman calls them down and demands to know who they are and where they got their powers. The brats refuse to answer, instead challenging Batman to use his detective skills to figure it out, before smacking Superman and Batman around in a multi-panel recreation of the cover and flying away, leaving the heroes humiliated. As Superman and Batman compose themselves, the Dark Knight suggests the boys could be robots, and he and Robin set out to follow the boys while Superman goes off on his own to investigate another theory. Knowing that Batman and Robin are following them, the Super Brats do as so many super characters did in the Silver Age. They begin tunneling. Batman and Robin follow the tunnel as it leads directly to the Metropolis Blood Donor Center. The Doctor assures the heroes that the blood given was human, and the boys mock our heroes as they leave. Meanwhile, Superman visits the Fortress of Solitude. Seeing that all the Phantom Zone criminals are still imprisoned, Superman shrinks down for a visit to the bottle city of Kandor. A nameless Kryptonian resident tells him that there was a report of two students disappearing from a school, and Superman is sure that must be from where the kids came. But upon investigation, he finds that instead, the students had done something far more plausible and invented an interdimensional transporter that allowed them to play hooky in another world. Back in the Batcave, Batman pulls out pieces of green, red, and gold kryptonite, planning to expose the boys to the rocks to see if they're Kryptonian. Much to Batman's surprise, however, Force Boy and Speed Kid suddenly appear in the Batcave and begin throwing the rocks around, completely unaffected. Superman arrives, and Force Boy throws the gold kryptonite at the Man of Steel. But a burst of super speed from Speed Kid catches the rock before it robs the Man of Steel of his powers, and ends the story very oddly and abruptly. And the Titanic Tots make a quick exit as Speed Kid admonishes Force Boy for his thoughtless act, all of which leaves the world's finest heroes with even more questions. As the title of Part 2 actually spills the beans as far as the kid's identity, we're going to get right into it as Force Boy and Speed Kid return to their hideout. Force Boy laughs about how he's going to win their bet, but Speed Kid tells him he has faith in Batman's detective skills. They then decide to drop their disguises in order to relax for a little while, and the astounding identities of the colossal kids are revealed to be those of the craziest imps in all creation, Mr. Mixias Pitalik and Batmite. Having bumped into one another during a visit to Earth, the two imps decide to team up to challenge the heroes with Mixie having much more of a sinister motive than the hero-worshipping Batmite. And I put Batman in my notes there, which is completely changing the story. Anyway, they made a bet about Batman deducing their identities, with the loser being required to go back to his own world for 100 days. Which, when you think about it, not that much of a punishment for Mixie's Pitalik, who gets sent back for 90 days with pretty regular frequency. But anyway, later, Superman and Batman are continuing their search for the Super Brats. Force Boy, aka Mixie, uses his magic to make the Batplane engine stop working. He then creates a time bubble, intentionally telling Speed Kid, aka Batmite, aloud so that Superman will overhear and look into it. Superman and Batman discover the bubble and assume the kids are from the future or possibly the past. But when Superman tries to pick up and fly with the bubble, it shatters, 
which tells them that it was a fake. Meanwhile, the boys, or imps, I guess, use their magic to create a spaceship, landing it in the center of Metropolis. As a crowd gathers, Speed Kid and Force Boy exit the ship and challenge Superman and Batman to battle their huge fighting machine. Batman tells Robin to stay behind and obey his orders, and the world's finest quickly dispatch the machine. But the threat is not over, as mechanical monstrosity after mechanical monstrosity emerge from the ship, each posing a challenge to our heroes. Superman and Batman are able to defeat all of them when finally the most fiercest robot of all attacks. But before our heroes can once again go into battle, Robin calls to Batman that his suspicions were correct and shows him some measurements on a piece of paper. Batman then reveals that the ship was too small to hold all of the creatures and that only magic can make them all fit. He first suspected it when the Batplane engine died, almost if by magic, but now he's sure that Force Boy and Speed Kid are Mr. Mix's Pitalik and Batmite. With their ruse blown, the imps resume their normal looks, and Mixie disappears back to the fifth dimension, holding to his end of the bet. Batmite proudly tells Batman that he never lost faith in the Dark Knight's abilities, and Batman replies that he appreciates it, but really hopes that Batmite finds someone else to admire. The end. And you know, for a for an idea as silly as this, I think that this one was really fun. Although I had the uh, reveal about the identities of Force Boy and Speed Kid spoiled for me before I even opened the book, and the comic itself, as I said, spoils the, the, the story, and I'll actually come back to that in a minute, I, I doubt I would have figured it out as it was going on had I not known. And I mean, it's not high mystery if you're looking at this from a, a modern perspective and are familiar with the usual Silver Age suspects. But I do love that they went through each possibility. You know, we had robots, Phantom Zone criminals, Candor residents, other random Kryptonians, time travelers, just all the stuff that kids reading the book in 1965 would think of. Um, They really didn't give any obvious hints that it was magic involved, but if you once you know the reveal, if you go back and look, there are some subtle clues, such as the kids being able to knock Superman around with one finger. You know, so th- there are little things that might have led you to to think, hey, maybe maybe it's Mr. Mix's Pitalik and Batmite, even though the, the, those two characters didn't really team up that much. Um, if I wanted to be super nitpicky, I could raise an issue with the premise, wondering why Superman and Batman just don't say... Oh, kids with powers. Like a young boy in Smallville about 25 years ago. No big mystery here. Let's go have a sandwich. But then we wouldn't have a story. And I know that there are many people who don't care for Mix and Batmite, but I like the characters. They have their place, of course, but then I think everything does. And if we are to accept the you know, the, the gravelly-voiced, swear-to-me interpretation of Batman, then we can accept the version with the hero-worshipping imp from the fifth dimension as well. Um, as I said, Batman and... Uh, Batman. Batmite and Mr. Mix's Pitalik didn't team up too much, but this is the second of three team-ups between Mixie and Batmite that took place in the pages of World's Finest Comics. So we'll be seeing more of them down the road as well, no doubt. Um, my only real criticism regarding the, the reveal and, and the, the bigger story itself 
is that the book spoils it before the story does. Um, stories in this era often were broken up into two parts or, or sometimes three parts. And when you get to the beginning of each, you know, the second part or even the third part, there'll be another splash page with an intro blurb and a secondary title. Now, normally, I'd include that in the synopsis or try to work it into the synopsis, but I couldn't do that this time because the second chapter begins as such. Batman and Superman have not yet discovered the amazing truth about the mysterious Colossal Kids, that they are really the cowled crusader's zaniest fan, Batmite, and the Man of Steel's nutty nemesis, Mr. Mix's Pitalik. With the inane imps' combined dimensional magic leading them on one false trail after another, the terrific team needs a super effort to combat, and then here's the title, The Magic of Batmite and Mr. Mix's Pitalik. Uh, now, granted, you find out the secret on the second page of part two, but why they opted to spoil that before you even get there, I, I have no explanation for. Like I said, it was spoiled for me before I read it, but it's puzzling why, when they could have really kept the mystery up until the last page, if they wanted to, why they chose to spoil it so early. But that was really my only significant nitpick and gripe about the story. I, I, I just really, really enjoyed this one. Um, even though I've complained in the past episodes about having these Superman and Batman team-ups where Superman and Batman don't actually team up, it, it worked here. I enjoyed seeing Batman use his detective skills uh, by following the kids down the tunnel, you know, thinking about using the kryptonite on them. Now, I'll give you the gold kryptonite might have been a bit extreme, but that's another topic. But I enjoyed Superman doing his own investigation as well, you know, looking at the Phantom Zone and then traveling into Kandor. We didn't need both characters, or all three if you include Robin, we didn't need all three of them every step of the way. So it makes sense to split them up and then have them come back together at the end. Um, if you are a fan of the, the trappings and supporting cast of the Silver Age Superman and Batman, then this is definitely a story for you. As Jimmy Olsen, Lois Lane, Perry White, Three Forms of Kryptonite, The Phantom Zone, Candor, The Fortress of Solitude, The Batcave, Robin, The Batplane, and of course, Mr. Mixus, Pitalik, and Batmite all factor into the story in some capacity. And even Supergirl gets a reference early in the story as Superman says she's on a mission into space, which is why he called on Batman for help. Now, the, really, the only thing missing is an appearance by Batgirl or Batwoman, um, but had this story been published a couple years later, I'm sure we would have got them in there too. And, to be honest, given the last story we had that featured Supergirl and Batgirl, maybe it's a good thing that they both weren't here, but that's another topic. Um, Art-wise, it's another Kurt Swan story. You know, Swan had been drawing both characters long enough by this point that he was very comfortable with how to make them look good, and maybe even could do it in his sleep at this point. I don't know. Um, this might be the first time he'd drawn Batmite. I, I would actually have to look into that. I know he didn't draw the first team-up between them in World's Finest Comics, because that was a Dick Spryang story. Um, but that could explain why there are some minor inconsistencies with, with Batmite from panel to panel. Uh, but overall, just really no complaints about the art. I I feel like every time we have a Kurt Swan story, I, I sit here and gush for you know five or ten minutes about Kurt Swan. But sometimes 
just saying that it's Kurt Swan is enough. Um, but that's really all the comments I had on this one. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It just didn't inspire much for me by way of commentary. Uh, both the writing and the art were solid. It was just a, just a good little outing all around. Probably not one that would stand up among the greatest Superman and Batman team-up stories ever told. But for me, that has to do more with the premise of the story being a little silly rather than uh, anything to do with the technical aspects of how it was written or illustrated. So right now, we're going to take a quick break for a couple promos for awesome podcasts that you should listen to. I'm going to get a drink, and then I'll be back for a look at what else was on the stands and what else was in this issue. Kalabak, Desaad, it is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, District and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher as part of the Fire and Water podcast. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You're changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us. I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And now, mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next Victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. Gotta be dying to those powerful cousins of the earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatots, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak. Blind or hope. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain until it has been drained of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast. FFcast.libsyn.com. Yeah!
you are interested in reading The Colossal Kids, the only place you can do so, without picking up the original issue, is the black and white reprint in Showcase Presents World's Finest, Volume 3. Also of note about this story is that it is the penultimate Silver Age appearance of Batmite. Uh, the character makes one more Silver Age appearance before disappearing until the very late 1970s, and that appearance also is in an issue of World's Finest Comics. So keep your eyes and ears peeled, as, like I said earlier, we'll no doubt get to that story eventually. There's only one other feature in this book, a six-page tale by Otto Binder and Bill Eli titled Weapons of Destiny, and that's a reprint from Tales of the Unexpected number 13 in 1957. Beginning this issue, World's Finest Comics dropped having a regular backup feature in favor of a rotating selection of stories from DC's history. Um, Some would feature characters such as Green Arrow or Martian Manhunter. Others would be from DC's anthology books, such as Tales of the Unexpected or House of Secrets. Um, A blurb on the cover of this issue promotes this idea as, quote, the greatest DC stories of past years as selected by the editor's roundtable. Honestly, I'm not sure how this differs from the reprints they'd been running as backup for, uh, I guess, more than a year at this point because they dropped the fresh stories in favor of reprints when Weisinger came on as editor, but there you go. The long-term effect of this, though, is that the title, I guess officially now, the title no longer has a recurring regular backup feature uh, with new stories, and that's something that would actually continue until the Dollar Comics era, which doesn't start until 1977, more than a decade after this story was published. Ad-wise, not a whole lot to talk about. There's your standard hodgepodge, toy, candy, and cereal ads. There's a PSA talking about, quote, nature's bill of rights, unquote. Uh, No superheroes in that one, though. And we have house ads for Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane, and Enemy Ace. Uh, But nothing, nothing too outstanding. But we do have, for only the second time on the show, a Super Turtle strip. This one has Super Turtle coming to the rescue when an air, an air conditioning unit goes down before the mayor's big speech. Super Turtle uses his super breath to blow cold air into the air conditioning ducts, only to find the people running from the building because Super Turtle ate onions for lunch. Wah wah. Not the greatest Super Turtle strip, but I still love the gag, and I really hope that DC fixes to collect them at some point in the future. I'm not holding my breath, but hopefully. But now it's time to head on over to Mike's Amazing World of Comics at mikesamazingworld.com for a look at what else was on the stands. And DC, being the height of the Silver Age here, DC had all kinds of colorful stuff out this month. First up is House of Mystery number 153, with kind of a neat cover featuring Martian Manhunter battling a giant Neanderthal. Uh, Martian Manhunter had been the the lead feature character in this book for about a year at this point, having moved over from Detective Comics when Julie Schwartz took over as editor of that book and added Elongated Man as the new backup, along with the uh, quote-unquote new-look Batman with the yellow oval. Uh, Next up is Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number 87, where the cover feature is The Arena of Doom. 
the second half of a Jerry Siegel-written story featuring Brainiac, Lex Luthor, and the Legion of Supervillains, using Jimmy Olsen in an attempt to kill Superman. 80-page giant number 14 bills itself as a Lois Lane issue, but in actuality it reprints stories with Superman and a variety of love interests, including Lana Lang, Lori Lamaris, and of course, Lois herself. We also have another big issue for Aquaman, and it seems like we've run into a lot of big issues with that character over the course of this show, but Aquaman number 23 features the birth of Aquababy. And part of me wants to know what Black Manta's gift will be. Sorry, Rob. The Flash, number 155, has Barry taking on pretty much his entire rogues gallery. We've got Captain Cold, Captain Boomerang, Heat Wave, the Pied Piper, Mirror Master, the Top, and more. And I might be wrong, but I think this is one of the first times that we saw a large-scale team-up of the Flash's rogues, which... It seems like more and more these days, uh, they they are just, and this, this is something that's, that's actually been going on for quite a while, so I'm not sure why I'm saying these days, but uh, anymore it seems like the rogues are kind of grouped together as, like I've been calling them, the rogues, rather than letting them stand on their own. But anyway, Justice League of America number 38 is the second part of the, I think it's the third JLA-JSA team-up, Crisis on Earth A. Then we have Mystery in Space, number 102, which for me is kind of a bittersweet issue. Um, It features Adam Strange, who is a character that I really, really like, and the story is written by Jerry Siegel, obviously someone of whom I am a big fan. And as an aside, if you're surprised that Jerry Siegel wrote an Adam Strange story, you'd probably be more surprised to know that he, in fact, wrote three Adam Strange stories. But more on that at some other time. So, anyway, we've got Adam Strange, we've got Jerry Siegel, and unfortunately, this is the last Adam Strange story. As we got farther into the 60s, and the idea of actually putting a man on the moon became more realistic, and the you know just the changing political and social climate not to mention the, the evolving nature of science fiction, the idea of this Buck Rogers-type space adventurer really started to wane. So Adam Strange's feature was canceled, we got Ultra the Multi-Alien, and Mystery in Space died about a year later. Adam Strange would go on to have a couple dozen appearances throughout the late 60s and early 70s, then got his own backup feature again in, in the back pages of Green Lantern during the 1980s. And someday, I really hope I can talk a lot more about Adam Strange, because, you know, Superman will always be my first love, Batman and Green Lantern are up there, but when you start talking about the B-list characters, Adam Strange is definitely one of my favorites. Next up, though, is Adventure Comics number 336, in which we learn the true identity of Starfinger. Here's a hint, it's not Batmite or Mr. Mix's Pitalik. But that's mostly all I see. So I want to thank you all very much for listening. In the next regular episode of the show, I'll be celebrating 25 episodes with an issue that I've been looking forward to covering since before I started the show. When I came up with the idea for Superman and Batman, 
this was one of the stories that I definitely wanted to cover. And if everything goes to plan, I'll be joined by a guest. So please, please come back. Until then, though, be sure to keep writing in. I just had a feedback episode last week, read a lot of good feedback, uh, but I still would really like to hear more comments from readers in the future. So be sure to keep writing in and get a jump on the next feedback episode. Um, Until next time, though, once again, thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Closed out this episode was Kids in America by Kim Wilde from her 1981 eponymous debut album. If you like the song, I'd like to suggest you head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com banner on their site. Buy the song or the album or, well, pretty much anything else Amazon has to offer, and Two True Freaks will get a little commission off every purchase. Not only will you get new music for your library, but it won't cost you anything extra. 
and it helps support one of the greatest podcast families out there. The Flash number 155 has Barry taking on pretty much his entire rogues gallery. Now there's Captain Cold, Boomerang, Boomerang? Captain Boomerang. No. What's his name? Mr. Boomerang? Captain Boomerang. I'm going to go with Captain Boomerang. I don't know what it is, but we're going to stall. We're going to stall. I'm pretty sure it's Captain Boomerang. Crikey! Uh, That's the best Australian accent I can do. And this is really why I do notes and I don't try to vamp because, you know, I'm I'm totally bad at at vamping. Um, Squirrel! Um, Yeah, 